I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It girls, we the ish girls. I got Jenny and Lindsay in this bitch girl. Make you move your hips for sipping gin girl. Make you bounce your tits like it's a jig girl. Like boom, sit kombucha for your womb. Honestine squad link up, it's like boom. The girls be giving you vibes. Tune in, chill out, and feel good inside. Like girls. Hey, we the ish hey, girls. girls. Welcome back to It Girls Podcast. This is Jenny speaking. This is Lindsay. What's up? Um, girlies, happy new month. Delighted it's March. Uh, what a fucking treat it is to get. Spring has sprung, girlies. It has, although it's fucking cold out today. But I'm looking forward to it. If we get anything like last year's weather, girls will be flying. I'll be absolutely delighted. Even the bit of bright, the bit of sunshine <laughs> makes such a difference. So yeah, it does, it does. We want you to sign up to our Patreon. If you are looking for extra content and this one little pod just ain't enough, you want more lols. Kind of more lo- loosey goosey over there on X Gals. That's our Patreon. And if you want to support us, so it is a five or a month or eight euro if you want to go to Triple X Gals. That's where we keep our tea and the more personal shit that's going on in our lives if you're a Triple X Gal. But X Gals, you get access to over 100 podcasts, the archive of our most juiciest podcasts, and you get access to the Discord where you can chat, make friends. A load of our listeners on X Girls have made friends and actually mm-hmm. made like connections and stuff like that. So that's really cool. And if you are a fan of our live streams, the two that we have done, we also do monthly live streams over there. And we are currently in the process of like amping them up to the next level. Uh, so if you're a fan of like video podcasts, you know, that might be something that you'd be interested in signing up for. So as Lindsay said, five or month uh patreon.com forward slash eight gals podcast weekly podcasts you get uh merch discounts all the rest there's so much shit on there so go sign up um and you'll be getting a sneak peek this week on what actually went down so do tune into that episode uh speaking of merch discounts we are having a fucking sale this week because guess what happy birthday to it gals we've had it gals four years which is crazy today i think the day that this podcast comes out yeah it'll be four years because it's your birthday also happy birthday to Lindsay. thanks girly uh so go send your love to Lindsay. and also yeah so if you want 15% off our merch on our Teespring store uh, go over there and the code is BDAY15 um, and that's like all of our totes all of our hoodies all of those iconic it gals pieces not our Valentine's merch because that was a little uh, drop that you are all getting right now which is great but our still sexy hoodies our wet and woke hoodies all the iconic pieces yeah. 15% off uh, we'll give you a little chunk of money and it's just to celebrate with it gals love four years we are in this a long time Oh, yes, we are. Four years. And this past year has been particularly great, as we know. Yes. But um, this week we have a really good episode that we're really looking forward to you guys listening to. Mm-hmm. So um, there's a two and to you campaign from Women's Aid, which um, 
they reached out to us. Sarah Benson is the CEO. So we've done an interview with her that's coming up. But also we spoke to Juliana Scheel um, and she spoke about her experience with domestic um, abuse in a kind of pretty young relationship, which, mm-hmm. which is really common. We're learning from uh, the Two Into You campaign. So yeah, she look- spoke and um, we had two little Zoom meetings and um, it was really, really beneficial. And I hope it's going to really be good for you gals yeah. to listen to. Super interesting. You guys might have heard like the Women's Aid ads that have been on our podcast for the last month. This campaign is really close to our heart it's really interesting and I think anyone can learn from it because it not only uh, and this interview also does that it not only helps people who uh, could be experiencing it but also re- we really wanted to like give people tools if they think their friends might be because it's something like one in five women go through mm-hmm. this especially at a young age between 18 and 25 but it can be any age any gender like whatever Obviously, and any level of kind of yeah. you know abuse and any level of relationship you don't have to be in a relationship 10 years to be going through this mm-hmm. as we learned you know it can be three months and these signs can show so we wanted to make sure to not only be able to help victims or people who might have experienced this in their past or in their present um, but also like if you ha- are a friend of someone who you might be a bit concerned about their friendship it's just tools that you can always use because as we said this can happen at any point in anyone's life so we're going to play the two interviews back to back first as Lindsay said we have Juliana Shield. Um, go on our Instagram we'll share her IGTV uh, so you can kind of get like a bit more info on her and follow her obviously she's gorge yeah, she uh, <laughs> and uh, then we have our interview with Sarah Benson who again is the CEO of Women's Aid and thank you so much to Women's Aid who reached out to us and helped us put this episode together because I think it's really important okay so with us we have Juliana and um, we uh, were put in contact with you through Women's Aid who you have been kind of working alongside on your Instagram and you put out this amazing um, video speaking about your experience so um welcome to the podcast thank you so much guys for having me no problem Thanks we're so happy much to have for you coming on so um coming up we have a really good interview with the ceo of um, women's aid but before we wanted to get you on to speak a little bit about your experience um if you want to kind of dip into your story and how you got in kind of involved with women women's aid and why you reached out to them yeah so long story short i was with him when i was 19 so i was in first year college um, I met him through friends. So, like, he was, like, this, like, larger-than-life guy. Everyone kind of knew who he was. Like, he wasn't some, like, like seedy guy. Like, he's really, really charismatic on scholarship. Like, he seemed amazing, like, perfect. When I met him, like, I couldn't believe it. So, for the first six months, it was, like, amazing. And then after, yeah, after six months, I'd say, he just got this really, really bad temper. And it kind of crept on slowly. So, like, it wasn't, like, one day I was, like, oh, my God, like, what the hell like it was it was so slow and I think I'd say the first physical incident was about seven months and after I wasn't that surprised like I wasn't like taken aback because the temper had been so bad so it was kind of just like one notch above what had been happening and um, and then I'd say that went on for like a year and a half until we broke up so we broke up I broke up with him I had to break up with him um, over text because we had I tried to break up with him like seven times, I think, before I actually like got out of it. And he'd always come up with excuses and he'd be like crying. And I'd feel bad for him, almost like breaking up with him. And he then he'd do all this crazy shit, like pretend he'd like threaten suicide and all this stuff to like kind of keep me in the relationship. So in the very end, um, it was the first time I had like space away from him. I was with my family and I broke up with him over text and um, blocked him on everything. I came back from the holiday to an empty house and he was like sitting on my doorstep 
and then I like pushed past him. I was like, no, like fuck off. Like I'm, we're like we're broken up. And where was and this I in Dublin or where? This is, yeah, this is in in my my home house, like my family home. Oh my okay. Did and you ever he, live with him or anything? Um, no, I never lived with him. He okay. lived like down the road from me. So he let himself in with my spare key, like he knew where the spare key was and all this stuff. So we were broken up for I'd say about two weeks and he started like messaging me and I thought he was blocked and I kept on blocking him and then I realised that he was logged into my Facebook and I was obviously like going out with the girls, like um like getting with people and stuff and he could see everyone that I was getting with and he was like emailing me and texting my Facebook being like, Oh, I'm, if you're going here tonight, like I'm gonna be there and like he was basically stalking me for two weeks and I ended up getting him off all my social media but I have no idea how long he was logged into those for but he was like watching everything I was doing and um, so I basically stopped leaving the house like I'd say a month after the relationship because I was like he's just going to be everywhere I go so I ended up anyway I broke away from him and we were friends for like what, friends for like quite a while um, after we broke up but then I'd say I rang him and like six months after we broke up because I was just like so depressed and anxious all the time and I didn't even realise it was because of this stuff that I'd gone through but I just kind of like on a whim one day I just rang Women's Aid and I was like I just explained my situation and the woman on the phone was like oh my god that's like a completely abusive relationship like she was like almost surprised that I was even asking um, and then the more I started saying it loud I was like in my own head like holy shit like that's actually so bad because I just never said it out loud before and so, and so when I rang Women's Aid they were like yeah, yeah, yeah. If we want to go back to the start of the uh, abuse, so you said for six months. So even like, because sometimes hindsight is like we always say it here, hindsight is wonderful yeah, thing. Yeah. So looking back at the first six months, do you think there was anything that you maybe like, you know, didn't pick up on? Like when we had the conversation, um, you know, because of this whole uh, campaign that they're doing, the two into you campaign, you know, things yeah. that you kind of could have perceived maybe, especially because you were young and like not maybe as experience, experienced. I was in that situation myself where like things that I perceived to be like quite romantic and like these big declarations of love or kind of like wanting to spend yeah. so much time with you. Is there things that maybe you missed from the start? Yeah, like I think he was really jealous, but I think I was so young that when I saw like flickers of jealousy, I just thought that he really liked me. So I almost kind of enjoyed the little bit of jealousy and then it just spilled like up and up and up and that's when it got really bad and it was just such a slow like climb that I didn't even notice how bad it had gotten and what like would I wasn't allowed to have any friends at all what would happen with his you said that after six months he started that's when like he kind of had a bad temper is that right yeah well he kind of he like I think there was just an explosion like mm. at that six month mark like the fight that I'm talking about like it was just like it wasn't like oh he was so angry it was like watching a child like throw a tantrum like in like on the side of the road like school like I've never seen anyone my age do that like it was ridiculous and I was just like so shocked when it happened I was like what the fuck like it was it wasn't like I think we went back to his house and he lived with his brother and his like his his brother kind of knew it was just like this weird situation but I think it was because yeah it was a build-up that I didn't really notice how bad it was you know. Yeah, I think that's something that is really common as well um, with people who have abusive traits or who are going to go down the, like, like just like someone who is wired that way. It's like this, like, inability to control their emotions and then as the yeah. the victim of it, it, what happens is, is, like, you get completely, uh, you're completely used to this, like, unnatural way of expressing emotions and anger yeah. that, yeah. like, they can chip away. You're just, like, completely, like, 
used to it you expect it from them you've got low yeah. expectations yeah, yeah. so then when it does get to the point of like physical or emotional or sexual abuse that you're it, it doesn't seem as weird you know that way because you're like yeah, that's yeah, just like, how they if are I saw one of, if I saw one of my girlfriend's boyfriends doing that I would be like oh my god he's insane like oh my god but because it was a build-up I just didn't notice it myself yeah um so you said you were with him for what was it like a year and a half two years two years um and you also mentioned that he did something which is really common in abusers well he isolated you so did you kind of notice like he was was he being controlling around your friends were, were there other levels of like that kind of control brought in yeah like I think by the end of the relationship like all my friends were his friend group so they were the only friends that I kind of had by the end of it but he like my friends from school are all girls and he just hated them and he kind of chip away in my head being like, oh, like, they don't even like you, like, they're not your friends, like, they're all sluts, like, blah, 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 trying to turn me against them. And that's, it kind of just drove a wedge in between me and any support that I had that, that wasn't him, you know, or his friends, because obviously his friends would probably be on his side if there was ever, you know, fights or anything. So it was always him backing him up. Yeah, and it's it's a that's a something that's really common as well that we're kind of learning from this is that they'll and it's actually a very like you know like manipulatively intelligent way because it's like not saying that you've no friends it's like your new friends are my friends so you do have friends yeah, like yeah, you yeah. can't say that like it's yeah. like a way of gaslighting you to be like what mm-hmm. do you mean you don't have friends you've yeah. loads of friends but like yeah exactly exactly yeah um, so say with these outbursts because um I think what happens sometimes like you were saying initially you kind of enjoy the little Mm. jealousy traits and like sometimes that can give you like, you know, you can feel like, okay, this is like tangible evidence that he's into me, you know, especially when in younger relationships. And as we know now from this campaign that it is in, it's so common in really young relationships. And like when I got into my first relationship, which did happen to be abusive as well, I, I felt so like this is, I thought that was more for older relationships, even when I was in it, it just felt so odd. But what I... But um, you said that like you would have these outbursts and would you notice that like it would be like maybe, you know, initially, like I was saying, the jealousy could have been something that you liked, but then it can get a bit tiresome. And if he was reacting in certain ways, would you try and change behavior or stop yourself doing certain things to like stop? M- like almost micromanage yeah, his outbursts? Yeah, to try and like, okay, because that's kind of yeah, my yeah. experience. I would so, try like, I just- think after he, after he had like a big episode, he would get really upset with himself. And we were trying to get him to go to anger management and therapy. And we kind of saw it as like our relationship problem. Like it was something that we were going to fix and get over. Like if someone had told me, like, he's not going to stop doing that. The first time it happened, I would have just been like, okay, bye. But because I believed he would be getting better and he would get over it. You know, that's why I kept trying and trying and trying. I think that's so interesting. I, I listened to your interview, with Louise McSharry, where you made that point And it was yeah. so uh very like one of my situations unfortunately Lindsay and I have both been in those situations when we were younger and just shows you how common it is mm-hmm. and Everyone that was like, yeah. yeah that was very similar it was like you know that just struck such a chord to me that you said like his temper and his abuse like let's call it what it is became both of your problem it was like yeah it was the relationship problem like you kind of think that oh if he was with another girl he wouldn't act like that yeah, and so that's what I thought about it. there would be blame, and your actions were making him be like that. So, would he apologize for those? Yeah. What would the come down so of like, those big outbursts be? Like at the end of the fight, he'd be like crying, like so upset. He's like, "Oh my god, I can't believe I did that." So I would end up having to comfort him, like after these fights. So he would he wouldn't say sorry, we wouldn't acknowledge it, and he'd be so upset that I just like okay, I should forget the whole thing, so that he stopped being upset about what he just did. So like I never got apologies, and I felt like when it was good. I didn't want to bring it up 
and bring it up again because if I brought it up again, it would turn into the same thing. It would turn into another fight. So I just kept quiet and just never brought it up when we were having fun, like, you know. So were you, um, I know you said that you felt like quite isolated from your friends, um, but did yeah. you also with like your peers or maybe you were like kind of like surface level friends, or some of your girlfriends, I'm not too sure, but like, was there an attempt of you to kind of like hide it? You know, were you in that micromanagement mode as well of like, I don't yeah. want anyone to find no, yeah, out. Like, they would have like zero idea. Like no one had, he was kind of like an aggressive guy who would kind of fight with guys and we were like 18 in nightclubs. But he would never, like, no one would ever think he was doing anything like that. Like, I tried my best to hide what I thought was our relationship problems from my my parents and all my friends. Like, when I told people after he broke up, people were like, oh, my God, like, no one could believe it. My mom was just, like, mind blown. And like, what she was could the not um, reaction like when, like, how did you go kind of public about it? Because with that feeling of release, I'd say you got, but how, what was the reaction like? So when I went, to, I went to the guards and that's the first time I told my mom and I had, I typed the word documents and had like pictures of bruises around my neck from being strangled and I didn't even let my mom read it because I just couldn't, like I just couldn't, I didn't want her to look at it and I, I don't think, she, I don't think I ever let her read it or my dad because you do carry like a, a bit of shame for letting yourself be treated that way. And um, so when I, I told I think people, you have to like, not yes. say that to yourself and still yes, in like healing, definitely. you have to say like, Next, you yes. didn't let that happen to you you it was done to you it was done to you and there was no letting you know like of course like you said Mm. if you knew the first time you showed these things that like that that was going to be the it's continuous you wouldn't have continued but like you I mean and women are like you know nurturers and healers and like you know sometimes when we're presented with these like damaged abusive men we want to fix them and like you said it's your problem and I'll yeah. help you get the help so mm. you didn't let it happen to you, you yeah. Know? No, yeah but I totally understand no, I mean like I, I would have thought that after the relationship and I think those people do that's why mm. they're just they don't want to share it like because you do carry a shame but like no one should and I definitely don't know like now I would tell anyone so I started telling people like obviously my friends and then I started going out with kind of friends with him and I was like you need to tell your friends and then it started um spreading kind of slowly but I think a couple of weeks ago, someone DM'd me that I kind of know that friends with him. And he was like, hey, I heard what happened. Um, he told us when he was confronted that when you guys used to have sex, he'd just get too rough. So he was obviously like retaliating what he was, what was being said about him by people. So he had a story because most people were just denied to the ground. But he was telling people that. So he was making me look like I was like overreacting and kind of like making making everyone and hate him but yeah. he's also you know? like still in some ways trying to continue the abuse by mm-hmm. disclosing you know yeah. a sexual yeah 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 privacy you know that's like in some ways yeah. a revenge point thing but yeah. with words and it's complete i mean yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. like you know out now gaslighting in the sense that it's like minimizing your experience trying to like bring in this air of consent into it like no we're yeah. having sex yeah, and yeah, I'm yeah. just too much of a legend yeah. that I ride it's like Literally. you know that way and then as you said also has that top of the thing where it's this lad banter and like the lads know stories about yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that way so I guess um when you're saying like you were obviously hiding it from your closest friends so I, I guess that that was a, one of the reasons why you went to women's aid because it was like this neutral voice um or was it yeah. just like did you get to a point where you were just like I'd, i i am going to have to leave this you know yeah like i think i just when i told people they were just kind of like oh my god i'm so sorry because like what else can you say if you don't understand like i think it's really hard to like give good advice 
so women's aid they're really like obviously they're all trained and I think a lot of the volunteers in there are actually like victims themselves um, so they just know what to say and it's, it's very like serious like they take you so seriously and it's not like a scale of abuse like oh well it wasn't as bad as like I never got any broken bones but there was none of like oh how bad was it you know because when yeah. you talk to people they're curious and they want to understand and if I say this they might not take it as seriously or think it's as bad as it could have been but with women's aid they're really just like abuse is abuse you know and that's mm-hmm. they're really serious about that so it's very like it's really good validation if you're a victim for someone yeah. to talk to you like that yeah yeah like very matter of fact and not looking for like gory details yeah. or like trauma porn yeah. kind of stuff yeah 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 um so then like Definitely. obviously you know when you started did you use women's aid like multiple times like was it a kind of sounding board for you to help you leave just twice so okay. the first time they were like that is abuse and the second time they were like telling me what to go to the guards with um, oh, and to get therapy and stuff so that was like the beginning but they do offer like ongoing counselling. I didn't know at the time, but they offer ongoing counselling and they attend um, court with women Amazing. to support them when they're like in charges. They're so, such a great um, organisation. But um, what happened when you went to the guards? How did that pan out? Because I think there's a big fear so, with that. Mm. It's kind of... I had a bad experience and I, I don't want to like hang the guards out to dry here, but I went in, so look, they called me over. I had the word documents that I just mentioned in my hand. And the man was like, he was like a young guy and he was like afraid. So I was crying hysterically. It wasn't just like little tears. I was like aggressively crying. And he, um, he was like, oh, like we'll ring. So, sorry, the second man was, the second guy was a man. Second, the first guy was a woman. And she was like, um, do you have like doctor search from A&E? Like any broken bones? Do you have any like, like um, visible bruises on your face? And I had the bruised picture, but she was like, you know, you don't really have, the evidence that would hold up in court so if you went to court you probably lose and you're just going to have to like relive this trauma so she said like I honestly don't think it's worth it I'll take your statement but for you and she was she was trying to help me Mm -hmm. but she was like for you I just don't think it's worth it and I was so like put off like I was like oh my god it was so hard to go there in the first place for then someone to say like oh well it's probably not worth it like you're probably going to lose and I was like oh okay so I went back six months later and I was like no I have to do this and the same thing happened again with a different guard. And he was just like, oh, like, we'll call you. And they just never did. So I was I like, think, oh, I'm not going back again. Yeah. I mean, I remember my um, husband, I was married to him. He was my abuser. And uh, there was a time when he like and again you're saying things like the guard would bring up about like the placement of the bruises. And that yeah. was a big thing with like yeah. um, my, you know, he would. Like he'd kind of push me around and you hear like the like hit wife or like did he hit you or did he punch you? But like he'd yeah. kind of push me or like be like physical to my body, not exactly my face. But one time it yeah. was I was got bad and it was scary and I did actually just call the police. I was like, fuck this. So I ran the guards and they came and like because we were married, they weren't able to take him out of the house. There's all these fucking weird rules that you don't oh know God. of. And then um yeah, so then they were like, we'll put it on file and they were writing in their little notebook, notebook and saying that it was going to be filed. So I at least thought that, that would be something that was like on file yeah. that I, you know, been yeah. in a situation. And then whenever I actually did, you know, manage to break up with him and he was out of the house and I got to that, but I needed to go on, um, to go to the welfare and get like rent support. And I went down to um, the social welfare woman in my village and was like, look, I was married and I were separated and she was like well why didn't you try harder in the marriage and I was like well there was domestic abuse and she was like well is there any proof yeah. of that I went to the guards and I asked them if they had any pr- if they had that file 
from that report and of course they didn't so those kind of yeah. things and again i get what you yeah. mean you don't want to like, yeah. you know fuck the guards but also fuck's sake where is the help <laughs> so the help i think is yeah. you know being able to just like talk about it openly use Absolutely. you know women's aid etc and just yeah. not be silenced and not unfortunately it is sick that we can't sometimes get the validation from like the law yeah yeah, yeah. And that's wrong but yeah. like i think me putting my video out has given there's definitely been like social repercussions for him because everyone knows now even though i didn't say his name like people like they can yeah. put two and two together so like people are gonna isolate him and that's the next best thing that i could could have got like if i can't press charges and get like him um a, a what's it called when you press charges and someone has a criminal like, yeah, conviction cr- yeah and also i job. think for sure and i think like the a, a huge power in that as well is hopefully at some point like he will reckon with what he did I don't know like be, hopefully that will come to him at some point where he's like having to actually face those demons and also yeah. hopefully um you know protect anyone who might be involved with him in the future you know because I think that that's yeah. something that yeah. for I remember and for my first boyfriend I was really I took on that guilt as well where I was like if I ever heard he had a new girlfriend, I was like, uh, should I tell her? You know, and it's like, I'm then like protecting because yeah. you do have that feeling where you're like, oh my God, like, I, am I doing damage by keeping this secret? Like, am I putting someone else in danger? You know, but I guess you just have to realize yeah. that like, well, it's you, you can, it, it's a journey and you can only do as much self-preservation as you can. And I think that your video was yeah. so good, Juliana. Like, I think you spoke so clearly. Everyone should go check Thanks. it out. We'll tag you in a, our episode description. <laughs> because it is so, it was just such a powerful video. And, you know, you spoke really matter-of-factly. And I think that women like you talking about these situations, in no matter what way you want to talk about it, but, like, it breaks that yeah. stigma of, like, the beaten, cowering girlfriend or wife. And it just shows yeah. that it yeah. literally can happen anyone, you know, mm-hmm. that way. Anyone. Yeah. We can see yeah, it. Like them. when I was in school, like I'm definitely not someone that would like back down from a fight. Like I'm definitely a scrappy bitch. Like I'm not mm-hmm. someone that like that lets people push me over. So like I, like, when I look back at myself, even I'm surprised. Like I can't even believe that I let myself. Yeah. It can literally happen to anyone, mm-hmm. man, woman. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Like it actually anyone yeah, yeah we saw recently in the media with um two people obviously the marilyn manson allegations are coming out and evan rachel wood i think it was three years ago when she first started talking about um the abuse this is what i mean in terms of journey she first mm-hmm. you know spoke yeah. about it but then it only i think it was two weeks ago did she actually name him as yeah. an abuser so these can all be like transitions and like you know you're growing but um also another one which i'm sure you watched was the fka twigs interview with um, oh my god yeah so good. so crazy with what's her name? Oprah Winfrey's friend. <laughs> oh yeah, what is her name? I can't remember the name of the interview, but it was so she powerful. Asked she that, asked that um, question, so... like, why did you stay? Yeah. And FK Twigs made the point of being like, I'm not from now on going to answer that question because yeah. it is so tiresome. And what you were speaking earlier about, yeah. like, saying that you didn't want your mum to read it because sometimes you're even like, your mum can say things like, well, why did you, why did you tell me what? And like, you feel more guilt and more kind of pressure from like how you handled something that is now in the past that you can't go back and redo. So it's kind of like, do you want to be subject to that? Like people that are in my parents' age group that not react the worst, but they understand it the least. Like they just don't get it. I think my mum told me a story when she was young that a priest um, said that, oh, if you ever marry a, a man, and they beat you, just hit him with the frying pan when he's asleep and he'll never hit you again. Like, instead of, like, get out of the relationship, like, because you're stuck in it, like, you can't get divorced. So I think the, like, non-divorce thing in Ireland yeah. is just so instilled in women that when 
women hear that from me, they're kind of like, oh, well, like that's kind of normal. Like it's so normalized. For that generation, it was normal. And it was like the first and foremost was to savor the relationship that came, that trumped everything. So to savor the marriage and to protect the family and the marriage and just to figure it out was kind of ranked higher than getting yourself out of it typical situation yeah yeah, yeah. because then it was like seen as like you giving up on something when it's like you know you're like leaving to like possibly save your life like you said that and it was also just against the church like to get a divorce so if you're stuck with Mm. someone abusive like well that's it so tell us about um you again mentioned which was an emotional part of your video about how um it got to the point where you kind of obviously were I'm guessing your self-esteem was so low that you thought that this was maybe the man that you're just going to end up with and have to deal with and he could actually be the man to to murder you, you said. Like that yeah. you felt yeah, like... Yeah, like I literally... I remember thinking that like I thought we were going to get married like when we were happy and having like the hard times. I always thought we were just going to end up together because I was so like under his power. I couldn't, I couldn't see any light ever. So I thought like, oh, like, is this going to get so bad? Because I think when you marry someone, obviously I've never been married, but it seems to be the case. Anything bad in someone is going to get worse. So any abuse at the start, little bit, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. So I was like, is this going to get so bad that this is how I'm going to die? And I remember thinking like, if I have kids with this man, like, is he going to abuse my kids? Like, how am I going to protect my kids? Like, that was like my worry. And that was, I think that was the darkest thing that I thought. But I think that was only like a year in and I still stayed after that. Yeah, like I just kind of was like, well, that's it, you know. I'm saying. Yeah, and it, well, I think that just shows like the power that manipulative and abusive people can have over anyone's mind, and that like you know, if yeah. there's something that anyone takes away from this whole episode is just like realizing, you know, like that thing that FKA Twig said, mm-hmm. like it's not about like you're like ah sure it's grand sure I'll stay. It's like these are like yeah. things that are you're. This is like brainwashing that like you know i'm not saying there's a, there's not like no definitive timeline of how long this can take this can happen some people are such powerful manipulators they can manipulate someone in six weeks two eight weeks it can be a year in yeah. you know and it's slow yeah. chipping away at, like your self-esteem your self-worth yeah. your your circle and it just you know as we said it can it really can happen everyone and th- anyone and thank you uh juliana for like, sharing your story because i know mm. it's so hard but you speak so well about it and i think um you are like an inspiration for people who are going through something like that yeah. and, and to speak up about you know situations that they may have got themselves in there's nothing you know that's 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 going to help always you know and I do think I definitely learned from the FK Twigs interview as well in terms of I'm not going to answer that question anymore to anyone if someone says I can't believe you stayed with him and you went back to him after that and anything that's like directed at you yeah because especially after being in like a manipulative controlling toxic violent situation when you feel so um responsible Mm -hmm. it's like we need to and the thing is about like the cycle of abuse and every abusive relationship seems to be the same like everyone's like oh i can relate to everything you said so we need to stop answering that question and everyone needs to take a step back and learn the the, this is about the same like three questions that you need to learn to answer you know like people shouldn't be put on the spot all the time Mm. like if everyone kind of was more educated about abuse then people wouldn't have to keep on answering that question. Well, if people just thought, the same answer every time. am yeah. I blaming, you know, like I've been asked that question so many times, why did you go back to him and you went back to him after that? And it's like, yeah. do not underestimate the powers of manipulation, regardless yeah. of, and I, I also yeah. kind of hate that of like, oh, you don't seem to be the kind of girl to get abused. It's like, you know, yeah, oh, that kind of idea that. of being like, oh, I thought you were strong. Even like, 
you know, disbelieving that the person that you may be. And then it kind of is like, am I that strong? So it's a real like multitude of kind of, you know, carried on toxicity. Well, it, can, yeah, it continues on. Relationship. It continues on the manipulation. And the reaction you know? can continue on the abuse and the mm-hmm. kind of feelings of self, you know, not having good uh, self-esteem and stuff. So I think definitely like eliminating answering those questions I think we all, as women yeah. and people or men who have like suffered, you know, in relationship and abusive relationships, to just like stop answering any victim blaming questions and start directing yeah. the questions back at the abusers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, Juliana, we'll probably leave it there, but thank you so Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So joining us on the podcast today, we have the CEO of Women's Aid, Sarah Benson. Thank you so much for joining us, Sarah. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, we are so excited to uh, talk about this topic and talk about the Two Into You campaign, uh, which Women's Aid are running at the moment. It is a topic that a lot of you guys know is very close to mine and Lindsay's heart, and it is all about uh, intimate relationship abuse. So Sarah, I'd like you let you take the lead on this and kind of introducing the campaign so everyone, so we can also get up to speed on exactly what it is great well i mean for those who wouldn't be familiar with women's aid we've been around for nearly 50 years um, and our particular focus is to provide support but also kind of public awareness and advocacy on the issue of domestic violence but the even the words domestic violence often have particular connotations people often think that it's where somebody's living with a husband uh, or a spouse um whereas actually Part of the two into you campaign which we started back in 2011 and are delighted to be expanding now at the moment is really designed to kind of raise awareness among younger people uh kind of 18 to 25s in particular about the fact that you don't have to be living with somebody you don't have to be married to somebody um for uh for you to experience what's referred to as intimate relationship abuse and that's a term that we use more to kind of raise awareness amongst younger people because a survey we did kind of and some focus groups showed us that that resonates more um and we want people to know what the warning signs are of uh you know an unhealthy relationship which could then become an abusive relationship but also of the kind of the rights the protections the supports that are out there as well yeah that's so yeah it's really interesting as well that you said you know touched on 
how the term two into you kind of resonated more with them because I could understand that being under 25 the you know domestic violence has such a like you know purposely and rightly so like negative and intense connotation but when you're younger and you're being told that your relationships are just like you know young love it can feel kind of like domestic violence is only for married couples or couples who are living together um but really the signs can start so much earlier mm-hmm. yeah and what we found we, we did a, a a survey a national survey last year and it found that one in five uh, young women before they reach the age of uh, before they reach the age of 26 will have experienced um abuse from a current or former partner um that drops considerably to one in 11 for young men in the same cohort but just to acknowledge that you know obviously it can happen to anybody and it can happen within lgbt relationships as well um but what was really stunning to us was of the the one in five young women affected 51% had first experienced the abuse under the age of 18. And so that could be their very first relationship, you know? So, um, you know, or certainly the early days of kind of experiencing, you know, intimate relationships. There doesn't have to be, you know, uh, full sex happening in relationships for them to be intimate, but that's really what starts to shape people's experiences. And we know that the impact of being in a controlling, being in an abusive relationship can have really lifelong impacts on somebody's self-esteem, on the trauma that they can experience. And again, sometimes people think of, you know, well, the relationships that people have when they're younger are often shorter, but actually there's good research to show that they're still very intense and really formative in terms of how um, we develop our relationships going forward. So we think it's been not that not enough attention has been paid to that, not just the fact that it's clearly prevalent in a worrying level, but also just the impact of it. And it's also about kind of trying to open up that conversation because we discovered, you know, the more we talk with, you know, people within that kind of age bracket is that it's actually a very difficult issue to talk about. And it's kind of strays into the territory of talking about sexual consent and other things. But, you know, what's good behavior, what's bad behavior, what's healthy, what's unhealthy is perhaps a conversation that hasn't been having, uh, haven't been had enough yet. And that's, I think, what we want to talk about now. I love the name too into you because I feel like sometimes, um, you know, especially if you haven't got experience in relationships, your initial kind of, you know, especially in young love, like you were saying, <clears throat> they abusers can use the kind of like, oh, but it's because I love you so much as a kind of crutch to kind of be the veil of what they're actually doing is abuse. So if we were to talk about the signs, um, you know, of intimate relationship abuse, what would be the most common from your experience? Well, maybe just starting with what you were just talking about there is that that level of intensity and like kind of the first flush of love or lust, because sometimes it's, you know, um, you're not into the the love territory, but there's, you know, a lot of strong feelings going on um, is where the intensity can be seen as really attentive, really romantic, but then it starts to move into the territory of actually very controlling. Um, So that could be, you know, where somebody is bombarding you constantly with kind of messages, kind of going, how you doing and then starting to get a little annoyed or even angry if you don't reply very very quickly you know so you're supposed to be always on always available to them even when you're not together you know where they start to monitor 
you know, who you're with um, and, and start to interrogate that. And, and then when they perhaps start to get into the territory of, you know, why do we need to go out with your friends? Or, you know, isn't it always just so much nicer when it's just the two of us? And then that becomes an isolating um, behavior where somebody isn't then actually getting access to, and, and then it becomes an issue if they want to perhaps spend time away from that person. So those kind of controlling behaviors. And and then you also have, you know, other forms of uh, kind of emotional abuse, putting somebody down all the time, you know, starting to comment on, you know, how they dress, what they wear, what they think, um, and all of that is is incremental. It can take a bit of time, but but what what young women in particular would say to us is that they get to a place where suddenly they realise that they almost have no control over their lives, or their every waking thought is filtered through. What's this person going to think of this? How are they going to react if I do this? And you know, and and that is that's what's different to a relationship where perhaps you know you have a big blow up and there's a row, and and then you kind of sit down and go, oh you know, sorry, I'm sorry, I overreacted, the other person does the same. You know, that, that's natural and normal where there's an imbalance where one person is slowly taking kind of control over the other person, um, isolating them, manipulating them, making them feel bad about themselves just for being themselves. That's where you're in the territory of somebody being kind of too into where it's an abusive situation. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, I, I on your website, so guys, if you're listening, um, the two into you t o o i n t o u y o u dot i e is where we're, I'm kind of looking at some of these. You've a really good um, uh, page on here that have the early signs, and I think the first two are, you know, something that can so easily be romanticized. As in, you know, we're talking about those first flushes of like lust or like, oh my god, he's so romantic, and he's like, I was watching your uh, promo video, and they're saying like he waits for me outside of work, and he's like sending gifts to my job and we only know each other like two weeks you know all these things are so heavily romanticized but and they can sometimes be romantic you know uh but it can be just so hard to kind of differentiate between when it becomes toxic and the first two are like you know saying they hate your friends saying you take too much time out for them not enough for them and you know that is a a key element I guess of that kind of abuse is like isolating you and you know taking you away from anyone who can be a sounding board I guess um and then also like the constant texts the next two I think are really interesting too but like uh, talking about how you dress and criticizing your clothing um, and then also making you feel guilty if you don't spend all your free time with them that's something that we've heard about a lot Lindsay you know from some people how their boyfriends or partners um, you know complaining about like you know where are you going wearing that or just like little remarks it doesn't always have to be so overt I find um, yeah I, I mean um, it seems as well a lot of these um see I can imagine the person kind of dictating these um oh your friends are horrible or clothes are a bit much it sounds like someone who is like insisting that you prioritize them and the relationship above all else and if you ever try to implement like say you know time for your work or your friends that that's a problem and that it's always related back to you know you're not spending it with me because you're preferring to work on your career or with your friends or your family and it's always impacting your relationship which a lot of the time is your home life even if like you were saying you're not living together it can be still it's like a comfort and that feeling of home and like people you know Ireland really does value intimate relationships a lot you know we talk about them a lot we you know they're the plus one to the wedding and all that kind of stuff so it is kind of important in that um regard but so what would you say um you know how has what's been the most common thing in terms of like because the a lot of these can seem quite um small 
at the start. So how do you how do you kind of notice them? Like we hear a lot about like red flags. Is this red flag? What would you say you would do if you start noticing these things? Is there a way that you can kind of talk to your partner and be like, that isn't right? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I always want to acknowledge as well that particularly when you're you're talking about you know really young people, like, you know, still in their teens in some cases, for both it may be their first relationship. So you're not going to necessarily immediately say, jeepers, that person's really abusive. They're really, you know, in developing in a relationship, you can start to see red flags of behaviors that are unhealthy, but maybe not yet an abusive relationship because it is about a pattern of behaviors. It's built up over time. Um, And so if you're in a relationship with somebody and you think that they're just really leaning in a bit too hard and, you know, and they're, they're being a bit too persistent or, you know, that, that the example I, I gave of, you know, where they're getting annoyed if you don't kind of text them back immediately and say, you know, how you feel or, you know, you don't match their, you know, expressions of, you know, um, you know, they, 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 they may say, I love you first and stuff like that. And then get annoyed if you don't say it back, like those kinds of things. They're the opportunities to test the health of the relationship, because in any developing relationship, you know, there's always going to be rocky moments, but it's about that thing of mutuality and respect and listening to each other and so if you know I behave in a way that my partner feels is disrespectful or is just you know um, a little bit getting into my space and and I sit down I just say look you know you know I don't think you mean anything by it but I just want you to know this I'm not feeling this it's not you know I really do need a little bit of space doesn't mean I don't like you that's just you know that's just the way I like to be and they respond by saying oh, right, sorry, I, I hadn't even realized, I thought that this was cool, that's fine. And they adjust their behavior to to compromise with you. That's a healthy relationship, you know. It's not that we don't always have disagreements, it's how we then approach those. But if the reaction is to start blowing up or to, you know, start criticizing me, like to back just saying, well, like, what are you talking about? Like any girl would love, you know, to have that. And what's wrong with you, you know, and, and you know, to, to, to make it all about themselves and then try and make the other person feel bad. That's not a reaction that you'd necessarily be saying is a good one. Um, again, it doesn't necessarily mean you're into an abusive relationship, but that would then be a red flag. And, you know, I think one of the things, I mean, I've worked frontline as well. I've worked on this issue for kind of, I won't even say how many years, <laughs> but one of the things I have always found is some of the, the most interesting question. If you have a friend, for example, and you're a little bit worried and you're thinking, I don't like looking from the outside in, this guy keeps putting her down. He doesn't seem very respectful. She doesn't seem herself anymore is to try and get, you know, the opportunity just to ask them how they're feeling, because actually, you know, you know, we talk about somebody being a victim of something, you know, but what we actually know is that people are constantly adapting and working incredibly hard to survive in certain situations when the the person who's hurting them is, you know, really doing a number on them and really doing a number on their head as well. And so if you have the opportunity to sit down and say, how are you feeling? Like, you know, does this feel good? You know, are you happy? Um, And try and get somebody a little bit more in touch with how they're feeling because they may be just managing all the time and there may be good moments, you know, but at, at, at the heart of it, somebody's gut will probably be telling them that this isn't really right. You shouldn't feel scared of your partner. You shouldn't feel uncomfortable most of the time. You shouldn't feel that, you know, you're having to second guess yourself. Um, so trying to 
chat with somebody in a safe, non-judgmental way and just say, how are you feeling about things at the moment? And if they're like, oh, God, well, they're, they're absolutely great. And then there's a little but, just, you know, dig into the but a little bit and just say, well, what is that? And, you know, you really shouldn't, you know, it, you know, it's not it's not right if somebody is making you feel that way about yourself. Um, so there are signs there, but you're you're absolutely right, Lindsay. It can be really hard to spot them because they do get dressed up in, you know, um, in it being romantic, in somebody simply just not really having much experience of relationships as well. Yeah. Um, and, and they build up slowly over time. About the um, the thought of like broaching a friend who you may be kind of concerned that is, is maybe in a bit of a, you know, being disrespected or whatever. Um, do you feel from your experience, um, because obviously a lot of abusive relationships, their aim is to isolate so uh, that seems to be a common one. Um, so I feel like people are so nervous to bring up kind of um, the elephant in the room that like, I'm not sure if this is healthy or, you know, broaching that subject with a friend or a family member. And I think the fear is that it will push them to the partner more and you're now the enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the, one of the first ones on the list um of warning signs was you know that he will be like against um your friends or your partner will be like trying to isolate you so that could also implement that if if you know the woman who's being abused or the person who's being abused goes back to the partner and says well even karen thinks that what you say to me is really rude and then they're like well i think she's this and then you kind of it can create a mess because he the partner may not want to hang out with his friend so what in terms of kind of like success rates of like broaching those subjects you're saying to kind of do it in a you know careful way and to kind of just let them open up themselves is that the better way or is it good to kind of be like I've also seen what I think is you know to be on their side of it yeah, and, and this is a really, this is so common, and this is not unique. This goes all the way up to, you know, we have people kind of ringing out where they're concerned about a friend in their 60s, you know, right? Mm-hmm. So that fear is where people know that one of the tactics can be to isolate and, um, you know, um, and, you know, somebody who wants to isolate someone from their friends can do all manner of things. They can start talking about, they can lie, which is a really common thing. They'll lie, they'll say that somebody made a pass at them. They'll say that... Somebody said something about them, you know, they 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 won't um they will not play fair in in doing it. That's the whole, you know, that's the issue. But one of those things that we would tend to encourage people to approach a situation like that is, and it sounds counterintuitive, is neither agree nor disagree with behavior you have observed the other part that him her 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 partner um doing or the the abusive person doing so come in really clean um and kind of say you know i hope you don't mind me saying but you don't seem quite yourself at the moment so observe what you can observe in her in in a kind way in a non-judgmental way in just in in just a way to open up the conversation just going like is there anything going on you know you know i'm here you know um no judgment um, you know, I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm just here to to just kind of hear what's going on for you because you know, if I'm if I'm honest, like you know, I I can it, it doesn't feel like it doesn't see like seem like you're you're quite yourself, and mm. start there rather than going. I see the way that guy is treating you, because you're quite right. You know, there is that risk then that. <clears throat> Because leaving an, an abusive relationship is not an easy process, it's incredibly difficult. 
Um, it's not a linear process. Sometimes somebody will leave, but they'll get drawn back in again. And that's part of what happens. So I know often when I've spoken to people where it's their friends or their sister or, or something like that, um, one of their worries is, is that if they come down, you know, if, if they say something about him and then she goes back, then the door is closed forever because she'll feel like she can never talk to them again. Um, and there may be a grain in, in that because, of course, he'll say, well, you know, she, your sister never liked me. Um, you know, she, she said all this stuff and, you know, that's not true. Or, you know, I only did that because I was, you know, really depressed over something else and that wasn't my fault. And, you know, um, so that that will be used to, to kind of keep a wedge in there. So that thing of going in clean and, um, and if she does disclose, you know, well, this has been happening a bit and, you know, just, well, well, how does that feel to you? You know, um, and just say, look, I, you know, I, it, you, you, you know your own experience better, but you know, if that was happening to me, I don't think it would feel very good. You know, how are you? So just uh, trying to use the opportunity to open up the conversation without going, that's absolutely outrageous. You need to leave him now. It can be so easy for us to go to what we want somebody to do. And um, that feels, you know, passionate and it feels supportive. But actually what, what women who experience abusive behaviours would say is that actually that's really hard because then it becomes more about somebody else being responsible to somebody else. And it, and it kind of takes away from them come into their own decision which can take a little bit of time yeah no totally that's such good advice and I remember uh, Lindsay and I and I'm sure you've watched it too the documentary about Or Kelly and they made a really good point where it can take uh, you know uh, people who are uh, experiencing abuse up to like nine times I think it was um, to actually leave their abuser and I think that's something that you know listeners or you know if anyone is concerned about their friends should be aware of is that like if they if your friend leaves someone who is abusive I mean correct me if I'm wrong Sarah like there there could be a high chance that they could go back because there is that level almost of like you know Stockholm syndrome they they break you down so early and I think that's where the website those warning signs does such a good job because there's a sliding scale of these abusive kind of traits where like you know it starts off with you know controlling language and it can actually go all the way down to the scale of like sexual violence you know so I think would you say that there is a window in in those early kind of signs where it can be you know either the person as you said is inexperienced at relationships and maybe you can catch them early and then maybe in your friends also like normalizing maybe normalizing I find it's what a really great thing to do in friendships is normalizing talking about fighting with your boyfriend you know like how do you fight and that can kind of give you you know, sometimes you hear about how other people fight and you're like, oh my God, we kill each other way more, you know, that way. So I think that those kind of conversations can, you know, really help people see other people's behavior and, you know, kind of check their own as well, you know? Yeah, because a lot of relationships are very, um, you know, I remember with my exes, I was just always felt so alone and I would be in my head, I'd be screaming, I wish there was like a referee for relationships because there's just the two of you and, sometimes you can tell that your mind is being fucked with or that they're like, you know, and it, but it's so frustrating when you're looking around the room being like, I wish someone else could hear this. Yeah, and, and I mean, I think it's always important to remember that what happens behind closed doors, none of us know what happens behind closed doors. And you can see a couple and you think, they have it all together, you know, we're, we're shambles, like, but actually you have no idea. And in fact, that could be an absolute facade of control going on there because what's happening is, you know, you know, you quite rightly say, of course, um, 
sexual violence, sexual abuse, sexual coercion, and also physical threats and physical abuse can form part of an abusive relationship. But and a relationship can be abusive without those and just with the threat being implicit, because at their core, the difference between what's sometimes called situational couple conflict, which is where, you know, for want of a better phrase, you get that thing of the two of them in it, like, and two people will go at it. And, um, but a, a, an abusive relationship is where there is, it's at its core, it's about power and control and one person, you know, exerting and achieving power and control over the other person. And that it doesn't happen by a single act of physical violence. That happens by a careful, you know, uh, uh, variety of, um, you know, sometimes quite subtle, sometimes very overt forms of kind of manipulation and abuse. And that makes it incredibly hard to leave. And the highest risk in an abusive relationship is the point where somebody is trying to decide to leave and perhaps their abusive partner becomes aware of it or at the point where they have left. Um, and when I say dangerous, it can be highly dangerous um, because what has happened there is that all of the effort that the, that the abusive partner has put into, and they put a lot of effort into it to gaining control, is being lost. And so they will up the ante. And that can happen in a few different ways. It can be, you know, suddenly they'll produce an engagement ring and <laughs> that might be the route they take um, or they will resort to, to more extreme forms of abuse and violence. But people do get drawn back in because it, it takes enormous energy to try and leave something like that, something so dangerous. Um, and if you don't feel you have a support structure around or you feel you're being judged um, uh, for, for your actions, sometimes an abusive a partner will employ somebody's friends to try and get them back you know oh he's he's got it he didn't oh he knows he messed up you know and so listening to your friend or your you know your your colleague or or your sibling whoever it is that that's suffering that is and always remembering that the manipulation can extend beyond the individual to to their entire peer group to their entire family in some cases um and just staying with your friend, you know, um, not telling them what to do, but kind of sitting in it with them. And, and something you said there was like, you know, letting them know that they're not alone because you'd be surprised how many people say, I think I was the only person in the world this was happening to. And people judge themselves for it happening as well. Say, so how did I get myself into this? You know, I always considered myself a strong woman. I always considered myself smart. And at the same time, they're not maybe realizing that somebody has been chipping away, telling them that they're not strong and they're not smart and that everything that's happening is their fault. And that becomes internalized. So if we're helping somebody, if we're supporting somebody, recognizing that that's really, really common and countering it by, you know, messages that, you know, it's not your fault. And, you know, you know, um, I, I'll support you with whatever you want to do. And I know it's really difficult, but know that you're not alone on this. And there's like, you know, there's websites about this. There's like one in five women, you know, one in 11 guys that this is happening to. So, um, but the key thing is it's not your fault and, um, and not falling into the trap of taking, you know, taking the side of the other person um, yeah. when you know that, those kind of controlling and manipulative behaviors can be going on i think that's I feel like um you know jenny spoke a while ago about like normalizing talking about arguments or disagreements you know myself jenny and my sisters would always do that and make sure that we're there for each other if there is a big blow up and we can go to each other and like to you know say everything and then it's like the conclusion is none of 
you know, the person's business who isn't in the relationship. You know, the way, because sometimes like you go to your friends and you're like, he's that and this and he's that and I can't stand him. And then you go home, you make it up, you conclude it. Like you said, you never know what goes on behind closed doors. And, you know, for me, I'm just like, okay, I will, I'm not going to be like, well, just make sure girl, like to don't forget what you told me on the couch that time. It's like, actually just leave it so that they know that they can come back to the sofa and be like, oh, because it's not going to carry on the judgment. But I do feel I've been in situations before with friends and say uh, other parents who, you know, say they've had a baby and the baby's eight months and they're going out and I'm noticing things that like, you know, I think I'm hypersensitive to those kind of things as well because I was in a a controlling relationship. So I can kind of spot the signs that I maybe missed and I can be a bit like, you know ott with that but i think it's important well what i do is you know small little things like say if my friend is like oh it's his first time at home with the baby and he's really worried because i've been you know and uh oh so i won't be out late because like i don't want it, that kind of thing i'll kind of say oh sure look it's his baby too you know kind of trying to say things without mm-hmm. it being like overly judgmental or overly like hand on her shoulder like i'm worried about you hon but kind of like pointing out and like kind of talking about the elephant in the room like oh you know you've been in with the baby for the past eight months maybe it's okay you know that kind of thing because I think it's good to kind of hold a mirror up to each other and that's what I was saying how we deal with like talking about arguments it kind of is like a great way to kind of look at your look inward at your own relationship and be like is that normal that he doesn't talk to me for two days after an argument when my sister can get over her argument with her fella in an hour and they're hugging again Yeah, that's absolutely key. And actually, that's one of the main reasons why isolation is so effective is because people no longer can see what's normal. They don't see healthy family relationships. They don't see their, you know, their friends. So and they're not exposed to that comparison. Um, And that's that's actually very deliberate on the part of somebody who's abusive is to actually, you know, then then what is happening becomes normal because that's all there is. Um, And being able to kind of state the facts without you know just saying well look you know plenty of fathers out there who've managed not to like you know drop their babies <laughs> like you know, there's there's two parents in it you know um those kinds of just simple factual things that aren't like you know tied up with you know other value judgments they're just simply saying oh yeah but look sure you know there's plenty plenty of dads manage just fine and look sure isn't this a great opportunity you know you know, yeah. you've you've been with the baby so intensely all the time for eight months, you know, and isn't this a great chance now for him to actually, you know, get a, get a bit of one-on-one time, you know, and surely that's that's the way to look at it, you know, um, and so make it a positive. And then if it happens, you know, that he starts ringing, I mean, I mean, I know, you know where that does happen is somebody is really, really looking forward to going out. It becomes a big thing. And within an hour, suddenly they're starting to get messages and baby's crying, the baby's crying, the baby's crying. And it just, it comes so that it's just not worth it to, to stay out because the enjoyment is totally gone. And that's, you know, and so those kinds of things absolutely happen and they are really kind of controlling. They are designed to, they're particularly cruel actually, because they let somebody go to the point of getting all dressed up and, you know, 
and then just pulling the rug um, and uh, and say, well, your baby needs you, which is also then becomes a blaming thing as a, you're a bad mother if you don't come home now, even though this is the first time you've been out in like months. Um, something that you said there uh, really resonated with me when you were talking about like sometimes abusers can, you know, almost get like employ people to be on their side, like almost like spokesperson for them. And I think it can be something that um, I would run through when I was younger was uh, being in a relationship with someone who was abusive and we shared a huge group of friends and you know when you have everyone else being like oh they're so great they're so great blah 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 blah. like you can feel like you know when you don't because what happened to me was like I was almost isolated to where his friends were only my friends and I had some other friends on the outside but it was kind of like put to, towards where like that was my main friend group um mm. so I'd say you know would you have any um maybe any tips for someone who's in that kind of situation where like they've you know they might not have no friends but all of their friends have become their abusers friends and they're finding it hard to kind of get like you know to talk to someone who sees it from their perspective yeah it's it's a really difficult situation when you're you have a shared peer group or as you say where through the relationship their peer group where they have maybe the more established relationships becomes um you know your main source of kind of social contact um it's very hard to to give a single kind of steer on that because I think I think what you'd be doing is in those situations is is saying is there anyone in this peer group who I actually think you know I I could potentially be closer to than he is who I would trust you know because you know a a group is not it, it can feel like a herd but they are all individual people and so in that group you know is there somebody there who actually you know I have a feeling maybe would know that this person isn't 100%, you know, the most awesome person in the world, you know, or maybe saw the way that they behaved to me when we were together and perhaps would recognize that. Um, and if there is, there there may still be the opportunity to develop friendships. I think the other thing then is around your consideration of kind of ongoing mental well-being and safety is if does staying with this peer group mean that you are always going to continue to be exposed to this person and and how do they behave when you're in that peer group is the abuse still going on because you know are they are they making snippy comments are they putting you down whenever they can in that case the abusive relationship is continuing even if you're not together anymore and that's a really important thing to pay attention to and then the other thing is and it can feel incredibly difficult is who were the people I felt safest and happiest with before this relationship? Have some of them drifted out of my life? And 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 could I just maybe reach out and, and drop them a message, drop them a snap, you know, get in touch? And people can feel like, I can't do that. It's too big of a hill to climb. But it's remarkable how generous our friends can be when it's and it's just, you know, just reaching out saying, gosh, you know, I know I haven't seen you in ages. I've missed you. You know, could we meet for a coffee? And and try and, you know, get your people back, you know. So I can't say any one or other of those is the right way to go, but I think they're good things to think about. But the key thing is around where am I, where am I going to feel safe? Where am I going to feel happy? Um, and not to feel like I have no choices, but to continue to expose myself to somebody who is just isn't, isn't good to have in my life. Yeah. I know that that's a good, that's a great tip. I think, you know, um, we always think, especially if, you know, everyone's been in a situation, I think, especially when they're younger, where they might get a boyfriend and they might like be like, oh my God, I haven't seen my friends in ages, you know, or vice versa, you know, that can happen on a healthy level too. But I think that, you know, if you are going through something, maybe thinking as well of like, who was that one friend who was kind of always like on my side about it? Or, you know, was there a friend that like, yeah, my abuser like 
you know, specifically told me not to hang out with because he didn't like her or because she was calling out certain behaviours. And I think that that's something that people in those situations really need to be reminded of is that like a lot of the time those, you know, those people who are on your side probably still are and are wanting you to reach out to them, you know. Um, something else that you talked about, which I think is interesting and something that I guess could be going on more so now would be, you know, the involvement of the internet. And you touched on earlier about like how sometimes after you leave a relationship, uh, it can become even more dangerous because the person knows, the abuser knows that you actually have kind of copped on to their bad uh, behavior. They're losing control of you. And I think now um, the internet has probably enabled this even more so with like the likes of online harassment. Um, so I, I I guess uh, I see here, I have the press release and says of women who have suffered abuse, one and two experience online abuse as well. So I think it's this whole idea of, you know, it's like bullying as well. Bullying isn't just in school now, it's, it can come home to you and it's the same with abuse. Yeah, absolutely. And actually one of the things that we've been highlighting as a part of the um, the two and two campaign is the fact that actually we have new legislation because um, up until this point, certain forms of abuse that took place um, using digital technology or online, there wasn't really adequate legislation um, to, to make them offences. And now we have the um, Harassment and Harmful Communications Act, which has literally just about just over a week ago taken effect. And that makes it much more clear that kind of what you'd refer to as cyberbullying, cyberstalking, um, but also critically, which has never been properly enshrined in law, um, uh, image-based sexual abuse, which has kind of tended to be referred to sometimes as revenge porn, but it's like, it, that's a really misleading term because it suggests that somebody has done something to warrant some form, kind of vengeful, you know, uh, attack on them. And it's not porn, it's about taking, intimate images, faking up images, um, taking images and videos that may have been shared at the time consensually, uh, or taking them without somebody's permission. We've, we've come across that as well, and then sharing them on the internet. So all of those forms of harassment, bullying behavior are now more clearly criminal offenses. Um, and that includes whether somebody has you know, is just is is deliberately doing it to to hurt or harm somebody else, or if they're completely reckless to the fact that you know they could be sharing it with the lads because they think it's cool. They could be selling it to a porn site. You know, whatever it might be, it doesn't matter the intention. Um, it's the fact that it's recognised as being a, a devastating uh, way of um, uh, of hurting somebody else. So that that's now against the law. And one of the things we wanted to make is is likely is also people who might be considering doing that to somebody else make them aware that this is very clearly a crime now. But yeah, that kind of always on thing that that harassment, bullying. It can. It's not that it's been adopted as a replacement to kind of in-person harassment or bullying. It's it's unfortunately it's an additional tool that can be used. And we we've had women who've had everything from spyware downloaded onto their phones. So literally every message they, they share, they've had tracking you know, devices turned on like on their phones. And a lot of these things are actually very benign because you turn on your location, you drop a pin, you do all these things, the technology is there. But if somebody gets into your phone and they then, you know, so it can be used as a stalking device. Um, it also can be used on people's social media and can be hacked. One of the common tactics in a in an intimate relationship is that somebody um, 
gets you to share your passwords uh, or happens to be hanging over your shoulder when you're when you're logging into something and then they have your password so they can either hack um so we have people's accounts hacked where just outrageous lies have been put up about them where they've done really vindictive things like contact people um who they know are close to that person and say horrible stuff so that person thinks that they you know that they're you know uh they're hurting them to try and split them up with people. So really nasty behavior. And then also just constant messaging um, and things like that uh, are looking at if, if you upload where you are and stuff like that, using that, then maybe turning up, being able to do it to turn up in person, things like that. So unfortunately it is, it can be a tool. It's brilliant, it keeps us all connected, helps us share. But if anyone is concerned particularly at the point where they're breaking up with somebody we would be saying there there's actually a digital safety guide on the two into you website around you know changing your passwords um if something has happened you know the kind of steps to take you know obviously contact the guard but also contact certain social media platforms things like that um because and, and particularly with lockdown at the moment um you know dating isn't really happening so much in person and so we know and we've spoken to colleagues in the likes of the the USI welfare and others is that there is a definitely appears to be a, an increased pressure to kind of uh you know have kind of online sex and stuff like that which may have a video you may not be aware that somebody's recording you um or you may you know choose to do it consensually but then unfortunately um you lose control of that um and 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 that one of the consequences then is that you have you know particularly of women like hideous victim blaming you know just for for doing something that should have been a consensual thing and and the focus on the person who completely breached that trust gets a bit lost so that's something we want to kind of reposition and say you know that the trust has been broken that's the person who should be held for account um held to account in those instances i've all i've also noticed um around the whole like internet social media realm within um controlling relationships uh that sometimes a partner could be quite controlling over what you want to put up on social media what you want to talk about and those kind of um you know that especially with younger people i've seen that like oh you're putting up like revealing pictures or you know and there's that weird kind of like people I think especially women with social media and Instagram and TikTok or whatever, like we want to kind of keep up with the trends. And if like, mm. you know, there's girls in bikini photos or body positivity stuff, or just like, you know, night nights out where you're looking glam and you want to put that up. And a lot of like, I mean, even I know myself, I do that kind of because I'm, you know, confident in myself that day. And I'm like, liking how I look and I want to share that and whatever kind of, like you know that's rooted in I have noticed that that can definitely be used as a tool for control that and um, a partner could be like oh why are you putting that up that should be for me and that kind of idea of ownership over someone or yeah. um, you know even sexualizing the the idea of a woman putting up a photo of herself looking well or mm -hmm. in a bikini to kind of think oh who's that for you're trying to entice these men and again it takes the the idea of um you know that it's the woman's fault yeah she's enticing them you're looking for dms a really good word there which is ownership and the the I, I always find it staggering that consistently the level of hypocrisy in these situations is that very often the relationship may have started by then complimenting what they had, were seeing up on you know on insta or whatever it is and just and, and and even sometimes contacting somebody that way you know or because of a particular dating profile pic which was exactly the thing that they then start to criticize and then start to dig into and that is because it's like well, that was all fine. 
but now I'm here and I effectively, you know, this is mine. <laughs> what you've got is mine and you need not to be showing that to anybody anymore. And that's really where that comes in from. If somebody's not happy, you know, that that's and and even in the conversation, just oh, I admire your confidence, and it's so it's great to see you know somebody putting themselves out there like that, and then suddenly the whole thing gets flipped because it's about entitlement and ownership. And if somebody's behaving that way, you know that's not respectful. That's not um, accepting that you are your own person and that you can make your own choices uh, about how you want to you know um, how you want to be in the world, how you want to communicate yourself, your style, whatever it might be. But to me, that always Oh, invariably comes back to a loop of utter hypocrisy where at some point they will have actually complimented those photos. Totally. I um, I, I, another thing on the hypocrisy that uh, that you, you kind of reminded me of what you spoke about earlier is this whole like getting each other's passwords because I think a lot of the time that can be presented as like oh well if we trust each other we can both have each other's passwords or like we I can have like if you trust me you'll let me read your whatsapp or you'll let me you know view your dms and all this kind of stuff and it can be weaponized against you and then you can be like oh well I don't want him to think that I don't trust him or that like I'm sneaking around that that can be that conversation too like well what do you not want me to see it's and you have to always remember I guess that like you know there's a difference between trust and personal boundaries well I always take the view with those is that if you if like um if you have a diary, you know, and somebody says, I, I really want to read your diary. I think I think we should have enough trust. You know, it's like, well, you know, that to me is like, how insecure are you? And, and also, am I entitled to have nothing? Is there nothing? You know, in the same way that if I walk into a room and I have a conversation with somebody, I don't come out and then relay the entire conversation in the same way that I'm not going to share the entire thread of, you know, these text messages or, you know, so if you think before we had these ways of communicating, would it have been normal for somebody to say, okay, so you had lunch with uh, Jane, um, I need you to tell me entirely what the exchange was because, you know, of course, we, we must do that in order to have trust with each other, whereas actually the opposite is the case. The only question you should be asking was, did you have a nice lunch with Jane? Anything you'd like to share? And that's it. So digging into somebody's, you know, social media conversations, things like that, you know, should be treated in the same vein. It's like, oh, who are you chatting to? It's quite a normal thing to ask um, and just say, oh yeah, how are they? You know, or anything interesting. But if it starts going further than that, it's like, really none of your business. Like that's my friend, I had a private conversation. And also it could be their private stuff and I'm maintaining their confidentiality. There's so many reasons that that's not okay. And you're entitled to your own privacy, even whilst being in a relationship. I think as well in terms of, um, I read something years ago that like if you if you have if you're kind of tempted to go through your partner's Facebook or Instagram or just their phone was left and you just that is an indulgence 100% but if you do like I've read that like if you do indulge in that you will not stop looking until you find something that you don't like that you can then present to your partner and be like who the hell is Sheila or whatever and the idea of trust is like sometimes you might see your partner's phone on the couch and something could ping up that you're like, Oh, I don't know the name of that person. That's what the trust should be that I trust, you know, I don't need to know that, you know, I don't need to like, cause you can misconstrue, like say, if anyone went through my phone, they'd be like, what the hell? Like our phones are like these insane diaries of what we see, what we like write down, like what we're sent. It's like a multitude of like madness. And um, but yeah, what do you think about the whole 
like, do you think you should, I think you should never go through someone's phone or anything like that. And especially, uh, you know, and I've been, I've had it done to me before and I've done it before, but I've definitely learned that it's toxic and something that's just not good. And especially because you will not stop. Do you think that's true that like they will not stop until they find something that they can use? I think, um, I'm not trying to fudge your question, but I think, I think with anything where you do something or are thinking of doing something and you have a sense that it's crossing a line, it might be a little line or it might feel like a big line. When you've crossed that with anything, any behavior, any boundary that you step over, um, it becomes easier and easier and easier to continue doing it because it's kind of like once you've broken that kind of moral pain barrier or whatever was in your head that had you hesitating. Um, So I think that that absolutely can be the case. I I think the question that very few of us ask ourselves when we're trying to, when we're thinking into like, you know, do I look at the phone? Do I open the diary? You know, do I open that email? Um, Is why would I be wanting to do that? And like, what is it that's going on in my head or in my gut that is suggesting to me that that's a good idea? And I think that's the question we all need to start with before doing it. Um, Because, you know, in certain scenarios, there may be, you know, loads of other signs going on out there where, you know, you'd weigh it up and go like, I'm really pretty sure this person is cheating on me. And I have a feeling that I'll find that out really quickly. Or is it like, I'm feeling a little bit insecure um, and I can track it back to, you know, they complimented my friend the other day and I thought that that was a bit, and that, and because really whatever it is, the only reason we want to do it is actually about ourselves. It's not about the other person because you can be going out with somebody and you can be like, I don't really care if they're seeing other people. Like I quite like an open relationship. So all we can do is kind of sit back with ourselves and go, what's going on with me that I'm even thinking about this and to try and track it back. And then make your decision. And I'm not going to judge everyone for their decisions because there's all the different circumstances. But once you've done that, once you cross a particular line, yeah, no doubt, then it becomes something that's easier to do. And it can definitely lead into difficult situations. Um, I think it would be better if there's a trust issue rather than go the line of trying to validate something you're not even sure about to actually kind of go, okay, well, what is it that's causing me to feel mistrustful at the moment and, and actually have the conversation with your partner you know yeah like yeah, almost actually, like if that. sorry Lynn, <laughs> almost like if you're going to weaponize it against them you know that way it's like what am I going to do with if I find out this magic information that I want or I feel I need like what's the outcome like is it evidence that I need to get out of a relationship am I hearing rumors that like I don't know cheating and if you do get this one piece of information like am I going to leave them or am I just going to weaponize it against them and is it going to be this ongoing fight and all that kind of stuff and you also then have to reveal that you've 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 done something which objectively could be seen as being intrusive for all the reasons that we were just discussing that you know um, people are entitled to their private life as well. So it is better to, to as you say, well, what would I do with that information if, if I have a mistrust, you know? And even if, you know, it turns out that it's not true, you know, how am I feeling about this relationship? You know, would, would I care? You know, would I be devastated? In which case, maybe I want to share that I'm feeling really serious about this relationship and see if they feel the same way. Or maybe I don't care, in which case I might make a decision that really I might as well cut my losses here because I don't see this going anywhere. So it really comes down to how you feel about the situation. But I always open communication is better. Yeah. What I'm gathering, we had a question um, 
last month, not the Q&A that came out today, last month we had a question from a girl who was in a long-term relationship and she had noticed changes in her partner who she was living with and she confronted him and he was like not giving anything away. Everything was fine apparently. So I think she felt like her only way to get the answer was by going through his phone and she did and she found evidence that he had um, gone and seen a sex worker and she had the evidence there so I think sometimes cases like that possibly where you feel like you're maybe being gaslit where you kind of there's all you know these signs like you were saying and that something like that could be evidence as a you know a get out of jail card yeah I mean look unfortunately human nature dictates I mean women's aid wouldn't exist if unfortunately there weren't people who didn't you know treat other people badly and you know and you know, that people betray trust and all of those kinds of things. And it's very difficult to give one clear line of mm. thought on that. I mean, one of the things I, I would say is if somebody is having kind of those worries and sometimes people don't want to bring them to their friends, they feel too personal or they're not sure and they don't want them that to kind of come back is to think about services like, say, the Women's Aid Helpline, you know, these 24-7, totally confidential spaces, they, they are not just for... Um, when there's a crisis they are really very often where somebody's just like I just have a bad feeling at the moment or I'm feeling bad and I don't really know why because I don't think I've done anything but there's these things going on um, and to use those services as the resource they ought to be which is often just as a, a completely confidential sounding board and, and sometimes people are all up in their head and they just need a chance to just speak it out And very often that can be easier to do with somebody who you've never met before because they're a completely neutral kind of blank canvas. They don't know your partner. They don't know your friends. They don't have any, um, they have no skin in the game, like, you know, so all they are there is to help you talk things out. And it's a remarkably underrated um, thing, just having somebody just listen, you know, um, who, who isn't, you know, going to tell you you know, what to do, but will do things like you were talking about earlier, Lindsay, about validate. I'm just saying, well, you know what you described there, you know, that that wouldn't necessarily be considered, you know, uh, you know, a healthy way to uh, to respond to to the scenario you've given me. And, you know, that 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 could be kind of construed as, you know, a, an overreaction. How did you feel about it? You know, those kinds of things. So, you know, um, encouraging people to they don't always have to talk to you um, um, and you know, if, if they are spinning a bit, you know, taking the time to, to kind of reach out, ring a free service, you know, use the instant messaging services that yeah. we and others might provide. I, um, I notice you have that instant messaging service. I think that's great too, because I think in the age of like texting and, you know, online chat rooms, like some people, especially younger people might not be as versed as picking up the phone. Mm. And it's also something that if, you know, if, if you do live with your partner, you know, we're in lockdown, you're going to be in, yep. um, you know, you might not always be able to get the chat chance to sneak out and make that phone call and you know I think it's so helpful that um on your website you do have that instant chat and I think that's so, so worthwhile so just to end off I guess um just to highlight some of the services that Women's Aid do provide, you have um, your free phone number, which is 1800-341-900. It's twointoyou.ie. And as you said, it's a 24-hour national free phone uh, line. So, uh, and I'm presuming as well that this can be um, used as well as people who are maybe undergoing like a situation but you know if, if I had a friend who I noticed, would I be able to also call up and like ask for advice? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, both the Two Into You website and the, the regular, the womensaid.ie website actually has loads of information on it. You know, that's not just for those who might be directly impacted by uh, intimate relationship abuse, uh, but it's also for people who are saying, you know, what are the signs? I, I am worried about somebody else. What is the information that's out there? You know, how can I, how can I, how can I be of help? And we would definitely get um, men and women contacting the helpline saying there's somebody I care about who I'm worried about, but I'm not sure what to do. Um, what do you think? And they'll get everything from information on kind of protective orders to just give them a little bit of confidence on how to open up the conversation. So absolutely, we're there for, you know, friends, allies uh, of those who might be suffering. And and likewise, I just want to acknowledge, like we, we have the National Free Phone Helpline. We have some Dublin-based face-to-face services and drop-in services in the court uh, in Dublin. But we also act as a signpost to all of the other services around the country. Sometimes somebody wants to talk on the phone or instant message. Um, but sometimes they want a face-to-face support and we can directly connect people if it's, you know, within the appropriate hours to another domestic violence service. Um, and also if somebody perhaps isn't so comfortable speaking through English, we also have a direct interpreting service in over 170 languages. We can get an interpreter on the line um, just to, to make it more accessible for those um, who might be migrants, might not have you know uh, English as their first language amazing well Sarah I think we'll leave it there I know you're a very busy woman but uh thank you so much for coming on and you know giving us great tangible advice that is what we're about here and you know if anyone again is affected by anything we spoke about today uh, I'd encourage you to go onto the two into you website we'll link it below and we'll leave the uh free phone hotline number as well so Sarah thank you so much thanks Maine, for having me on thank you thanks so much Sarah Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.